All right. Our verse today is very, very short. You don't even have to open your Bibles. I, don't, I, I didn't even put it up on the screen uh, because I want us all to, to say it together and to remember it together because it's very, very short. Okay. Um, <clears throat> what I want us to do is I'm going to say it and then I'm going to repeat it. And I want you to repeat it with me because at the end of the day, if you don't remember anything that I say, that I, say I want you to walk out there with a little piece of God's word in your mind, hoping that the Holy Spirit will use that little piece of knowledge to enrich and better your spiritual and your physical and earthly lives. So um, our, our verse today comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And it is a beatitude, and it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Okay? All right, together now. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. All right, all together, all in one, one, uh, one sentence. Okay, ready? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, hey, so <clears throat> I have been married for 12 years. 12. I think it's 12. Yes, it's 12. It's 12. I've been married for 12 years, and in 12 years of marriage, you you learn a few things. You learn a couple of things that I didn't know when I was just a single bachelor. Did you know? I mean, I think, I think uh, more, uh, more wives know than husbands know this. And I'm, and I'm making a blanket statement. I understand it's not true for every single person. But I think a lot more wives know this than, than husbands do. But I have found that there is a correlation between personal esteem and the level of cleanliness in your house. The greater the esteem, the greater the level of cleanliness. The lower the esteem, the lower the cleanliness of your house. Let me tell you what I mean. Okay. Now, at Metro, one of the things that they always encouraged us preachers to do is to be vulnerable and open. So I'm going to be vulnerable and open to you guys, all right? The next picture I'm going to show you is a picture of my house in its current state, okay? I don't expect you to ju judge me if you wish, but I know that your houses look like this too, okay? So... Um, so there are three tiers. There are three packages uh, available when it comes to when it comes to the cleanliness of your house. So, um, so um, next slide over. Okay. So this is my kids' room right now. Okay. I, I literally took this picture yesterday, and uh, as of uh, um, it, it still looks like this this morning. Last time I checked. Okay. Um, if you are tier one esteem and you come to my house, you get the basic package. Okay, that means your ta my tables will be clean. Okay, dishes eh, might be put away. You might get the vacuum. You might get the vacuum. Now, this level of packaging is reserved for mom, dad, brother, sister, the closest of your friends that you know will not judge you when they see that you live like a slob. That's tier one basic 
packaging. Now, there's a reason why I show you my kids' room, okay? Because uh, I'm ashamed to show you the rest of my house. <laughs> so that's tier one packaging. Tier two is the premium package, all right? Next slide, please. That is the premium package. This is not my house, okay? <laughs> All right. In the premium package, the common areas are usually wiped down, dishes are put away, cleaning products are involved. Okay. Uh, you will get both the vacuum robot and the Dyson. <laughs> right. That's tier two. These, this, this is when Pastor Doug or Pastor Dave comes over. This is premium packaging level. Right. Your coworkers, your bosses, church people that you know will judge you. You know. Um, that, that's premium level packaging, okay? This is what you get if you come to my house, if you are one of those things, right? Finally, the last tier is the legacy package. Mm, the legacy package. All rooms are cleaned, closets included. The ketchup drawer is organized. Staging is involved. Y'all know what it, do you guys know what staging is? Staging means presenting something in a very beautiful way, but it's completely unrealistic to living, right? Now, legacy package is a multi-day event, okay? You don't just get that level of cleaning done in one day. That's a week-long, maybe sometimes even a month-long event, okay? And legacy package is reserved only for three people. Three people. The president, potential buyers of your home, and your mother-in-law. <laughs> Tell me I'm not lying. Tell me I'm lying. Okay. Folks, next slide over. The greater the occasion, the greater the preparation right? The greater the occasion, the greater the preparation. Let me ask you a question. The most important of Christian holidays is coming up. It's greater than, East, uh, it's greater than Christmas. It's not as fun as Christmas, but it's greater than Christmas for us. It's the greatest of Christian holidays. Let me ask you a question. Are you prepared? If it is the greatest of occasions, have you put in the greatest of preparations? If your heart is where Jesus lives and resides, are you working on cleaning the house in this season? Now, that's the that's going to be the question that I'm going to be asking throughout this entire message that I will be attempting to answer for you. The greater the occasion, the greater the preparation. What does it mean to prepare? Okay. Now, in order for us to fully understand the preparation portion of it, we must first understand the occasion. Easter is when we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can we all agree? Absolutely. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Very nice. Okay. Um, he died and rose again. 
we celebrate that. And that, what, what that does is, that is that's also our death and resurrection, right? In a spiritual sense. But did you know that the celebration is much greater than that? It's much greater than just what Jesus did on the cross. It is, because that is supposed to be a celebration of your death and resurrection as well. Do you kind of see the dichotomy there, right? It's not, I, now, I understand, okay, your death and resurrection is not a one-time event. I totally get that. We are constantly dying to ourselves, constantly resurrection, re- resurrectioning. Huh. You! Man, resurrecting, resurrectioning. <laughs> oh, man. Um, <clears throat> we know it's constantly happening. But you know, what's, you know what's so glorious about the Easter season? It is this tradition where the church puts together this organized effort to go through this death and resurrection together. During the season, during the, um, the, the weeks leading up to Easter, the church collectively gets together and we all decide what we're all going to die to and we're all going to resurrect to. If Good Friday and Easter Sunday is the occasion, I'm going to challenge you, church, to use this next couple of weeks to go through the preparation. So we understand the occasion. Now let's talk about the preparation. Now at the heart of the season of preparation is a very Christianese word. Okay, A Christianese word that everybody instinctively knows, but nobody can give me like a real good, sharp, definitive answer of what that is without using like, you know, texts and texts and texts, right? And at the heart of it is this word right here. This word, uh, oh, sorry, this is, uh, the, the, this is the, um, the verse. Next is this word. Uh, one more time. Righteousness. Righteousness. Okay? It's a super Christianese word. We all know what it is, but we don't really know what it is. Right? Let me make it easy on you. Okay? <clears throat> Righteousness is nothing more than... Nothing more than, next slide, there we go, rightness. Righteousness is nothing more than rightness. Rightness means that there is a standard to which we live towards, right? Rightness, there is a right way to live. There is a right way to do things. There's a right thing for everything, right? And our standard, that standard for us is Jesus. Jesus' life is our standard. He is the epitome of righteousness or rightness. And so therefore, the Christian life this, uh, on this side of heaven is attempting to make our lives look like Jesus's, right? To daily try to mold our lives towards the rightness of Jesus, okay? Um, <clears throat> Now, here's the thing, folks. Righteousness gets a little bit more complex than that, 
Okay? It is rightness, absolutely, at its core. But did you know that in Scripture, the word righteousness is actually expressed in two different ways? It doesn't outright say it, but you see these themes over and over and over again. Okay? There are two different ways that righteousness is, uh, is expressed. And um, these are the two. Okay? It is both a right relational position and a right state of being. A right relational position and a right state of being. They are similar and connected, but they're also completely different. Okay? Confused yet? Let's go for it. Let, uh, let, let me see if I can make this a little bit more clear. Okay? Now, righteous, the first part, a right relational position. So next. <clears throat> okay? Righteousness is an unearned right relational position. And this is the definition that is most familiar to us Christians, right? Right? Um, <clears throat> in Genesis 15, God and Abram are having a conversation about Abram's legacy. And Abram expresses his concern that though God has promised him that he would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, he had no sons. To further compound the problem, Abram is getting well advanced in his years and his ability to have children is waning. And this is what God had to say in response. Genesis 15 says, he, God took him outside and said, Abram, look up at the sky and count the stars. Next slide, please. Okay. All right, cool. Um, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be, Abram. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Trust is a major attribute of a close relationship. When someone is your close friend, you trust them with yourself. You trust them to handle you gently, to be sensitive to you, and to even make you aware of some hard truths. When you fully trust your friend and your friend fully trusts you, you are in a state of relational righteousness. You are in a position of relational rightness. This concept is extremely familiar to us Christians because our entire faith hinges upon this concept. We believe that human beings messed up their relationship with God. We sinned against them and continue to sin against him. And it breaks our relationship. Our relationship with God is no longer righteous or right. But because Jesus Christ stepped in, took the punishment for our sins, we can have a right relationship with God. We call him our father. He calls us his children. We have a right relationship with him. Righteousness as a position, as a relational position, requires no effort on our part at all. God offers anyone, anyone who wants a relationship with him, access to a righteous relationship with him. It's free of charge. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be clean. You, don't, you only need to want it and to hunger for it. That's it. That's it. Can we all agree? Perfect. Very nice. You are somewhat ready for Easter. Very nice. Okay. It is un 
earn. Jesus did the earning for us. Unearned relationship. Okay? Righteousness is described as a position and a relationship. However, that is not all what righteousness is. And this is where it can get a little bit confusing. Okay? And I'm warning you. Okay? But please try to follow me here. Okay? So righteousness is uh, expressed as a relational position, but it's also a... An earned right state of being. An earned right state of being. Okay? I know that, that is very, very confusing because we are taught our, that, it, that our salvation is unearned. And that is true because of Jesus Christ. It is an unearned relationship. However, there is an aspect of righteousness that is done right here on this earth that has really no bearing on our salvation in heaven. But it does have some bearing of our salvation here on earth, okay? Let me tell you what it means, okay? Righteousness is, an, is also an earned state of being. God is righteous. He is perfect in love, perfect in life. He displays no immorality, impurity, or greed. Agree, yes? Very nice, awesome, okay? He was perfect in his relationships. If you look at the life of Jesus, he had great relationships the entire way. So many people loved him. Even though those, those very same people who said that they loved him ended up crucifying him, he held no bitterness in his heart. God's state of being is a perpetual state of righteousness, of rightness. He is always righteous. Okay? But I also believe that relationally, you have, a, you have to have a, relation, you have a relationship with self too, okay? Now, Jesus cared very much for the people around him, but he also cared very much for himself in that, in that he cared for his body. He, he understood the limitedness of the human body, right? So <clears throat> he is a God who maintains the perfect work-life balance. He was busy in ministry. Feeding 5,000 people twice is enough to make you call it quits, right? But he was busy, yet he still found time every morning to go off with his friends and to go and pray, to work on his body and to work on his soul, to rest. He had a righteous relationship with people. He had a righteous relationship with himself, that's how you're supposed to live. He's the standard. He lived the right way. And because we have been made righteous through Jesus, we are now called children of God. We are called to become like him and to imitate him. Ephesians 5.1 says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Imitate God. We're called to imitate God. We're called to imitate the life of Jesus. Though we will never reach his level of righteousness, we are called to reach for that level of righteousness. While there is a right relationship with, while the, right, while the relational righteousness is completely unearned and it is free, the other side of relationship uh, of uh, righteousness has a cost. Okay? Righteousness as a state of being is not free and requires quite a bit more than just a hunger for it. Just because you want to be righteous doesn't mean it's just given to you. 
It requires sacrifice, effort, and discipline. Righteousness in that way is earned. Are you following me here? Is that, is that relatively clear? Okay. Our verse today is, next. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed who are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst are interesting words. They're action-provoking words. They are not action words in and of themselves, okay? But they are action-provoking words. Hunger and thirst describe a state of being that is uncomfortable. And they move you to satiate that hunger or thirst. And to satiate that hunger, you must move, you must put forth effort and energy. The satisfaction of that hunger is earned, and as, a ch- as children of a righteous God, we're called to become more like our righteous father every single day. First Timothy calls us to action. First Timothy 6 says, But you, child of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness. Pursue it. There's effort involved there. Pursue it. This side of righteousness is not just given to you. You've got to go and get it. Okay. Pursue righteousness, fight the good fight, take hold of the eternal life which you were called. In other words, go get it. Righteousness is not just handed to you, you got to go get it. Unfortunately, this side of righteousness has no sympathy for wishful thinking, gives you no points for excuses. Righteousness as a state of being is earned in that regard you got to put forth the effort to become more like Jesus every single day. And what that, ha- what, and that, what that entails is that you got to die to yourself and die to yourself and sacrifice. It's not great feeling. So you might be asking me this question then. Say, Pastor Mike, all right, so you're telling me that my, 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 my afterlife is, is, is guaranteed. I can just hunger and thirst for Jesus, and because of Jesus' sacrifice, my salvation is guaranteed. So therefore, why put forth the effort for earthly righteousness, for earthly rightness? Why should I, why should I do that to myself? Why should I sacrifice myself? My life is good. My life feels good. I feel like I got a good rhythm. Why, why should I put forth all of that effort and energy? I'll give you two reasons. Okay, I'll give you two reasons. Okay, first is to avoid starvation, and the second is to gain blessedness. Avoid starvation, gain blessedness. Okay, avoid starvation. Here's the thing. All right, so a number of years ago, when I was still a single man, <clears throat> I remember at church, there was this uh, missionary from Haiti who came to speak to us. Okay, and um, he came. And uh, before he started his presentation, he handed out these little cookies to us that were nicely little packaged and stuff like He handed us these cookies for us to snack on while we, while we listened to him. Okay? And as he started his presentations, you can hear the cookie wrappers opening, and I opened mine, and I took a bite. And folks, when I tell you that it was, it was the absolute worst cookie I've ever eaten, that would be the understatement of a lifetime. It was bad really bad. 
the flavor I could only describe as tasting like dirt. I, I'm not being facetious about that. I'm not just saying it tastes bad. I'm saying it actually tasted like dirt. And as soon as I took a bite and my face just turned, you know, all kinds of ways, I looked over, I saw that everybody's face was turning all kinds of ways because mine was not the only dirt cookie. And the missionary saw what was happening and he started laughing at us. Okay? He is laughing at us. But of course, this was not simply a prank. He had a point behind this. Because you see, folks, in Haiti and other third world countries where there is very little food, what people do is they gather up dirt and they use some sort of binding substance, usually like Crisco or fat or some, something to bind it together, dries it in the sun, making these little cookies. And they sell them to each other and they eat it because there's no food. And you eat, 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 and people were dying. The irony is that the people of Haiti were dying of starvation with full stomachs. Doesn't that kind of, in a way, describe how we live life? We fill ourselves with things that fill out our schedules, fill out our lives, and we're constantly, constantly complaining that I'm lonely, I don't feel spiritually connected, I don't, I don't, I don't feel connected to God, I feel far from him. I don't feel connected to my, my partner in my marriage. We're constantly comparing, we're constantly saying that stuff, right? It's because we filled ourselves with everything else instead of filling ourselves with stuff that really matters. Folks, when you are not reaching for righteousness, starvation is guaranteed. You're, you're if you are not reaching for righteousness, not, not just in a spiritual sense, I'm talking about it from an earthly sense. If you are not reaching for righteousness, you know, if you are not taking care of your physical body, you will die from health complications, right? If you are not taking care of your mental state, you knew that I was going to say something about mental, emotional stuff. If you do not take care of your mental, emotional state, you're going to go crazy. It's the opposite of salvation. You know? And the list goes on. So the reason why you want to reach for, for righteousness is to first avoid starvation. But secondly, and this one's a lot more fun, okay? you got to reach for righteousness because there's blessedness in righteousness. Our verse for today was... Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. According to this, righteousness is blessedness. Righteousness is being filled with blessing. Righteousness is being filled with blessing that you put the efforts to earn this side of heaven. 
Okay? Something I really love about the Beatitudes is that in a lot of them, Jesus isn't so much making a new proclamation, but simply expressing the natural order of things. Something that everybody knows. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you put that in another way, if you pursue righteousness, you will gain righteousness. That's the natural order of things. If you strive to satisfy your hunger for a more righteous you, you will gain it, you will be filled, you will be blessed. If you pursue better relationships, you will be blessed with better relationships. Makes sense, doesn't it? Right? If you pursue a better, healthier body, you will be blessed with a better, healthier body. That's the natural order of things. If you pursue better financial health, you'll be blessed with better financial health. Isn't that crazy? But not so crazy? I want to tell you a story. Okay, um, so now in... um, in emotionally healthy spirituality, if, for those of you who took, took it, you know, we know that you know, family history is a huge thing, right? And we, um, we always, it, it's, it's really, really easy to kind of demonize your parents, you know, because they made a lot of mistakes with you and all of that stuff, and we're all guilty, you know? But every once in a while, when God gives you a moment of clarity and you see how God has worked through your parents, you see not only the love of your parents, but you also see the glory of God. Let me tell you a story about my dad. My dad screwed me up in all kinds of ways, right? Okay. But here's something that he did do, right? Back in the 1980s, <clears throat> which was, didn't, didn't seem like it was that long ago, but for a lot of you, I know it was a long time ago. But uh, back in the 1980s, my dad was a chain smoker. Not only was he a chain, like there's chain smokers, but then there was my dad. Okay. He was addicted. Okay. I remember there was a, there was a moment in time where, um, you know, we would be driving and my dad would need a cigarette so bad that he would reach into the ashtray, pull out the butts that he had already smoked and just trying to smoke that last little tiny bit out of each and every one of them. And he did this on multiple occasions, so much so that we got into a giant car accident one day, one time, where, thank the Lord, I wasn't hurt. I was in the front seat. And that's saying a lot because they didn't, because seatbelts were just a suggestion back then. Um, and, uh, you know, that's how he lived. Fast forward a little bit, and um, I was in the living room. I was about four or five years old, no older than my daughter right now. And my dad was in his chair just puffing away like he usually does, and he saw something. I looked at my dad, and there was a ballpoint pen on the table. And I grabbed that ballpoint pen and brought it to my lips. My dad saw that. And he was like, oh, no. Oh, no. He's he's seeing the sins of his fathers being passed down right in front of his eyes. So my dad, motivated by a more righteous himself and in in, in, you know, um, by proxy, a more righteous family line, did something insane. He took a picture of, he took a picture of water, and he was barely a Christian at the time, picked up his Bible, went into his room, closed the door, and he didn't come out for a week. 
I don't know what he did in there. I really don't. He came out for the bathroom every once in a while. And I, whenever I say hi to him, he wouldn't say anything. He'd just go right back into his room, right? When I tell you miracles happen, miracles happen. He went in there, didn't eat. And he came out and he never picked up another cigarette again. He put in, like, they say that you shouldn't quit smoking cold turkey. But my, my daddy was motivated enough to quit it cold turkey. Here's the blessedness that came out of it. It was a trip, it was, it was a quadruple blessing. Because he came out and now he's no longer plagued with this addiction. Right? He can finally live his life clear and free. We're going to save a lot of money, you know. But that blessing passes down to me. I never touched a cigarette after that ballpoint pen. You know? It, just, it was just never a thing for me. And because it's not a thing for me, it's not a thing for my kids either. This is why we should strive and reach for righteousness, folks. Because miracles happen when you reach for that righteousness. How does one prepare for the greatest of Christian celebrations? Last slide. Nope, one more. Okay. Reach for rightness. If you don't remember anything from my sermon other than the passage, reach for rightness. This is how you prepare yourself for the greatest of celebrations. We celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ the weekend of Easter. Absolutely. There's no doubt in that. We celebrate that relational righteousness that we have. Absolutely. But Easter should also be a celebration of your death and resurrection. Not just physically, I mean, not just spiritually, but right here on earth. Easter should be the day where you celebrate your freedom from addiction. Easter should be the day where you celebrate your new financial freedom. Easter should be the day that you celebrate your newfound, more toned, healthier body. This is the season, folks, to get back into shape. I know that a lot of us have, uh, have let ourselves go a little bit in terms of our disciplines, right? You know, over COVID, I, and no one's judging you. I've certainly fallen myself. But this is the season to get your soul right, get yourself in therapy. If you've been putting it off, this is the season to do it. Get your body right, get your finances right, get your relationships right. This is the season to reconcile those relationships that have some bitterness in between them. That's how you prepare for the celebration because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the greater the preparation, the greater the celebration. Amen? All right, let's go to God in prayer.